We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 6, Tallahassee. This episode originally aired on November 4th, 2012. It was written by Christine Boylan and Jane Espenson and directed by David M. Barrett. The title card is a beanstalk growing toward the clouds. We begin in the Enchanted Forest. Emma Swan, Hook, Mulan, Mary Margaret, and Aurora arrive at the beanstalk, which is the entrance to the realm of the giants. Emma asks why they can't just pick a magic bean, and Hook explains that there aren't any anymore. Hook warns that Emma's knowledge of giants is wrong. She tells him what she knows of the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. After hearing her brief synopsis, Hook states that while it is a lovely tale, it is not quite how it happened. He reveals that the giants used the magic beans to plunder all of the lands, and there was a man named Jack who led an invasion of the giants' realm, killing everyone but one giant. Mary Margaret confirms Captain Jones' story with a brief nod. Hook explains the giants destroyed their magic beans because if they couldn't use their magic, nobody could. Hook tells the others that this beanstalk and giant are the last of their kind and that they will have to climb the beanstalk to get the magic compass. The magic compass will guide them to Storybrooke. Hook is taking a sick and twisted delight in regaling Emma with the horrible history of the giants and magic beans. Emma is so done with everything. I love her. I mean, can you really blame her? Because like whether or not Hook's right, anytime a guy um actually is you, it's like. Yeah. We're like, yeah. go. It's just like like <laughs> this grotesque no. story time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that he's all like a lovely tale. But let me tell you how um actually, um, actually. let me tell you how it really is. And I'm like, you know, if she'd punched him, we would have all been like, yeah. Yeah. I think the rest <laughs> of the women would have applauded. Mm-hmm. He says that Cora has the ashes from the magic wardrobe to open a portal, but she will also need the magic compass to find her way to their land. After getting the magic compass, they will then have to steal the magic wardrobe's ashes from Cora to return to Storybrooke. He reveals to the four women that he possesses a counterspell from Cora that was originally intended to allow him and Cora to climb the beanstalk, as it has been enchanted to repel intruders. Now that he has chosen to align himself with Emma and company, he can take one of them up the beanstalk with him to get the compass. Snow angrily unties Hook. Snow is just like, this fucking guy. Lol. His wink to Snow. Sir, she is a married woman and has sharp and pointy weapons with which to stick you. That wink, Snow's annoyance, and then just the other ladies being completely done are such a great little series of images in this scene. I love it. It's pretty funny because I think it's pretty obvious he's used to people just like falling all over themselves for him. Oh yeah. No one here is impressed at all. They're just like, what is what is this fucking guy's deal? Will he ever shut up? Yeah. Well, the funny thing so is, sorry. is that like in a D&D world, I see Hook being a bard. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and oh, the, yeah. Just the, just the way 20. he like regaling them with like stories and still smiling and like just telling himself that they love him and that he's the best. And it's very Yasker. He has like a 19 in charisma, but he keeps rolling those ones. Yes. <laughs> And then you've just got barbarian class Emma over here, <laughs> who's just like, shut up, I want to punch. Yes, Paladin Mulan. Ranger Snow. Ranger Snow. Uh, Druid Aurora? Mm, no. NPC Aurora. <laughs> I think she could be Sorcerer. 
Yeah, sorcerer. I like, I like that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I technically did play in a D&D campaign one shot, two shot. I guess it was two shots. It's a two shot. Where yeah. we were Disney princesses and I was Aurora and I was a Twilight cleric. Oh. Which is actually a really freaking cool domain, which is neither here nor there and we're getting nerdy, but we already brought D&D into this, so whatever. <laughs> I was Anna as a barbarian. It was very fun. It was very good. <laughs> That sounds amazing. It was great. And then our Elsa was like a wild magic sorcerer, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And Merida is a ranger with her will-o'-wisp that was like her, was companion. her like, companion. That's so cool. Yeah. I want to play. And, and then, then Sally DM, was a warlock? Yeah. She was a homebrew. Oh, a homebrew witch, right? Yeah. She was like a homebrew witch because um, the DM made like a homebrew class for her because that's who his wife was playing. Oh, cute. It was very cute. It was... It was very fun. And then there was a paladin Cinderella. Yes. Oh my God. She was amazing. <laughs> she had to compulsively clean everything. <laughs> oh, poor thing. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. But since we were like D&D class Aurora, I was like, well, technically I did play Aurora and I was a cleric of the Twilight domain. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Once released, Hook slaps on his enchanted wrist cuff and asks which of the four women will be the one to accompany him up the beanstalk. He is really hoping for them to fight it out and get into it. I'd be mad about his obvious schoolboy glee, but to be honest, I would pay to see that. Meow. The only problem is, as discussed, none of the women are impressed by him. Yeah, he's, no. rolling, he's rolling the one. Yep, he's just like, ladies, and they're like, no. No. <laughs> Don't be afraid to get really into it. And then you're just like, no. No. No, bro. Ew. No. No. Hard pass. Hard pass. <laughs> Pretty, but no. <laughs> no. In the land without magic of the past, 11 years prior to be exact, a young Emma is walking towards a seemingly empty yellow bug in an alley in Portland, Oregon. I love Emma and her little ponytail and glasses in this scene. 17 ish year old Emma is so cute. Also, yay, Portland. Apparently, the showrunners unlocked Portland achievement. They reached a new level of the map. Yeah, we've got like three cities now. (laughs) We're we're spanning the continent. We are. America now consists of three different cities. Shit. Emma looks around to make sure that no one is watching, then uses tools she has hidden in her bag and sleeve to break into the car. She's able to start it with a screwdriver and drive away, very pleased with herself, until a man pops up from the backseat, startling her. Impressive, he remarks with an impish grin, but you could have just asked me for the keys. Aw, the boy is here. I love that boy. He's still my beating heart. His smile is so darling, like he is amused, but instantly smitten with the pretty thief. I just, ugh, I have no words. Just know I am radiating joy and love for my good boy. Such a good boy. A handsome young man. The mystery man tells Emma to keep driving before he introduces himself as Neil Cassidy. Emma reluctantly tells him her name, and he flirtatiously invites her to have drinks with him, startling Emma into running a stop sign, which in turn causes a cop to pull them over. Neil scrambles to switch out the screwdriver for the car keys and comes up with a cover story that he was teaching his girlfriend to drive stick shift. Women, right? The cop buys it and lets them leave with a warning. Neil then moves to the front seat with a sigh of relief, saying, we got lucky. Emma pauses and realizes the car does not belong to Neil and that she stole a stolen car. Now, how about that drink? Neil asks coyly. I don't know exactly why, but I love this both trying to steal the same thing and meet cute. It's wonderful. It's very good. It's the cutest. 
Back in the Enchanted Forest, Aurora volunteers because she has no one left in the world. Mulan volunteers because she's the best warrior of the group. And Mary Margaret wants to go as it is her issue, and Emma is too new to this world. But Emma overrules them, stating that she must do this for Henry. Before she begins to climb, Emma takes Mulan aside and asks her that if she and Hook are not back in 10 hours, will she cut down the beanstalk with her sword? Mulan agrees and then gives Emma a concoction of ground poppy dust in order to put the giant to sleep. Emma returns Captain Jones' Hook so he can climb, and she and Hook then begin their skyward adventure. I do like Killian Jones, but I have to say that this guy is so horny. I just want to have a water bottle handy to like spray him with, like down. Bad. Go to horny jail, Killian. Bonk. Bonk. <laughs> Go to horny jail. Bonk. <laughs> Bonk. On the beanstalk, Emma and Hook are making good progress while climbing the stalk. Hook tries to goad Emma into talking, but she is reluctant to reply. Hook says that he does not need her to share anyway, as she is an open book. He then tells her that she has a son, to which Emma replies that isn't perception, but eavesdropping. Hook goes on to say that Emma herself was an orphan, and that she does not want to leave Henry in that situation. Emma asks how he could possibly know that, and Hook states that while in Neverland, he spent time in the company of a group of orphans known as the Lost Boys, so he can easily recognize another orphan. He then asks if Emma has ever been in love, and she replies, never. Bro, we just met. Calm your tits. Climbing up a beanstalk for hours is the perfect time to bond. It's not, though. It's very romantic. It's not. It, it, no. I, I. It's not. Everyone's like, the air is getting thin, <laughs> like gross and sweaty from exactly. hours Save of your non-stop breath, fucking cardio. <laughs> like the fact that they're not just wheezing is, <laughs> I don't care how good shape you're in. Don't waste your oxygen on this fiddle faddle. It's no. They rolled really high on their athletics check. I, I really had continuing like. Continuing with this metaphor, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I had flashbacks to the Princess Bride when they were climbing the cliffs of insanity. Yeah. Overall, I think uh, I, I feel like uh, Colin is really channeling some Dread Pirate Roberts in this episode. Oh, he definitely is. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised at all if that was one of Colin O'Donohue's sources of, of influence and inspiration. I would think so. I I'm, I'm sure. I just really want Emma to pull out her best Vinzini, just goading him and negging him into climbing and shutting up. I mean, or her best buttercup and just shove him down a hill. Oh, yeah. So, you know. That's the part that I was expecting that to happen. Her, her just being like, yeah, I'm pretty much over this. <laughs> Very much what it is. It's like the Dread Pilot Roberts and Buttercup, not Wesley and Buttercup mm-hmm. at this point. It's great. Back in the land without magic of the past, Emma and Neil are in a convenience store. Emma is faking being pregnant, and Neil is distracting the shop owner by asking for directions as he unfolds a map. The shop owner retorts that if Neil buys the map, he will give him directions. Neil buys the map while Emma continues to swipe stuff from the shelves of the store. As the shop owner is showing Neil which way to go, Neil slips some candy bars into his pocket just as a customer walks in. The customer tries to call Neil and Emma out, but Emma fakes going into labor, allowing Neil and Emma to get away with the robbery. This con would not be possible in the age of Google Maps. Just be like, just look it up. Your phone's right there. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could play the dead phone angle. Oh, you could. There we go. That would be that would be, be like, bro, both Emma. our phones are dead and we're super lost. I don't know. That's <laughs> the best I got. After jumping into their car and kissing, they make their way to a motel where they enter an open room after family leaves. Emma discovers a dream catcher they left behind, 
saying that this is a way to prevent nightmares. As she and Neil settle in, Neil suggests that the two of them leave their lives of crime behind them and settle down somewhere. When Emma asks where, Neil takes a map of the United States off the wall and tells Emma that wherever she points, that is where they will settle down. Emma closes her eyes and picks Tallahassee, to which Neil replies that Tallahassee is where they will start their new lives. Despite the whole, you know, criminal thing, Neil and Emma are incredibly soft, and I love them very much. And here, Henry, is the motel room where you were conceived. My emotions, my emotions. I also did forget to add and write in the summary that one of the things that Neil swipes in the convenience store is... is the Apollo bar. And then well, Henry's obsessed with those, too. I wonder yeah. if that was done intentionally. Another lost Easter egg. Oh, but, Henry- um, but Neil swipes the um, the little keychain. It's a swan, yeah. isn't it? It's a swan. It's a swan. A swan. Yeah. Yeah, because isn't that why he's all like, I got this for you because the swan and she's uh, Emma Swan? Yeah, that's cute. Yeah. Also, I, I might be totally off base, but is that what is her necklace that she's wearing yes. in the first season? Okay, cool. Like, I hadn't thought of that until this rewatch. And then I was like, wait, because I remembered us being like, she always has that same necklace on. It's got to be significant. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wait, while you're watching this one, I think that keychain is the necklace she keeps wearing. Yes, it is the necklace. Awesome. I have to say that, you know, both Jennifer and Michael really pull off the teenage energy well. Mm-hmm. I, look, look wise, I, I know it's not a perfect read, obviously, especially with Michael. But these two do have proper like teenage mannerisms down in these scenes that that manic teenage energy. Um, I think they both have a lot of really small moments that read well as teenagers. So for folks in their 30s playing teens, you know, they're trying their best. Um, You know what, if it worked for Beverly Hills 90210, it sure as hell can work here too. Yeah, it works better than Dear Evan Hansen. (laughs) True. Suspension fucking fired. Disbelief. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Mulan draws a line in the sand intersected with other lines. She explains to Aurora and Mary Margaret that this is to keep time of their watch shifts. Mary Margaret volunteers to take the first watch, and Mulan goes to sleep. Aurora remains behind, though, and confides in Mary Margaret she is too scared to go to sleep, as she has been experiencing intense nightmares since being woken from the sleeping curse. Mary Margaret comforts her, stating that she had the same experience, and then in order to make her feel better, Prince Charming would light a candle to help her sleep as the flame would catch the nightmares, and soothe her back to sleep as he watched over her. She encourages Aurora to rest, telling her she will watch over her. Charming is too good for this world. And Mary Margaret is the purest friend in all the realms. They're too good. So good. She's the best mom friend. Also, I I just really love this scene with Snow and Aurora talking about the nightmares that follow the sleeping curse. I'm glad this is actually being explored. Like this is actually a very thoughtful subplot. You know why? Jane Espenson. Because it was written by women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, do you know why this episode's actually intelligent? Because it was written by women. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is a really great little plot. That sleeping curse is is serious business. It's not just like time missing. As Regina explains, it's like you're haunted by basically your mistakes, if I remember correctly, and and just have these twisted nightmares. And that's got to be a hell of a thing to recover from. So I I like that. I like that this is being explored um, between Snow and Aurora. Meanwhile, at the top of the beanstalk, Emma and Hook arrive in the realm of the giants, now a destitute wasteland. Hook notices Emma has a cut on her hand and insists on helping, pouring rum on it to stave off infection before wrapping in a cloth. 
They formulate a plan for the giant, weighing between knocking out the giant with the sleeping powder or waiting for him to fall asleep. Emma spies a tattoo on his arm, which is a heart with a dagger through it and the name Mila, and asks him about it. Captain Hook grows somber and replies that she was summoned from long ago and that she is gone. Emma guesses that Rumpelstiltskin killed her, and that's the reason Hook wants him dead. Killian replies to Emma, saying, as a woman claiming to not have ever been in love, she is perceptive in love. Emma acknowledges that she may have been in love once. During this scene, I was expecting Killian to go like, I'm nice men at, at basically any moment. It had to be was, full Han Solo. It was a bit, there was a little bit of Han Solo energy in this. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm nice men. You're a scoundrel, sir. <laughs> scoundrel and a brigand. Hey, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Back in the past, in a park in Portland, Emma waits for Neil behind a tree with donuts in hand. Get you a woman who surprises you with donuts. I mean, I did. Aw, babe. Aw, I ship it. <laughs> Neil is a bit flustered and shows Emma a wanted poster for grand larceny with his name on it. He explains to Emma that this is a result of him stealing some watches in Phoenix a while ago, and that the watches are stored in a locker at the bus station in Portland. He despairs of how he will get out of this, believing he needs to make a break for Canada, without Emma, as he cannot bear the thought of her getting caught. However, Emma thinks up a plan, saying she will retrieve the watches herself, and that they can use the money to start a new life in Tallahassee. Just as Neil starts to weakly protest against the risk, Emma tells Neil she loves him, and he returns the sentiment before they seal their plans with a kiss. Ugh, the wanted poster that I now know launched a thousand anti-Neil ships. Like, I understand that the potential age gap the poster alludes to is not okay. But I don't think that's actually what age, you know, Neil is supposed to appear as in this flashback. From their performances and very much like equal power level of the two of them in this plot, I do think the intention is for Neil to also appear to be a teenager. The actors themselves are not that different in age. And if any of the other posters in this show are anything to compare to this information like there is not the most attention or care with their wanted posters or their document props on this show snow was in her wedding dress on her wanted poster the seasons were all mixed up in the newspaper i don't think that age was intentionally put there i i don't think the intention is for him to be not someone you know that appears to be an appropriate age for emma well, and he, he's, you know, like a grifter and stuff. And so I'm sure he was going off a of fake ID. And that's exact, like, probably the age the cops only had on record. Yeah. So if there was care put into that poster, is yeah, you're right. All three of us were talking about this earlier. Very likely he is not living off, off of a real ID. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no. Like, without spoiling anything, who's to say, like, that he had a fake ID and it wasn't a fucking McLovin situation? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Neil, he's like, hey, I'm Neil McLovin. <laughs> I'm, I'm Neil McLovin. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm screaming into a pillow here because I agree with all of this and I want to say more, but I just, you know, can't right now. That's why I stand by my, without spoiling anything. Lots this of is time, McLovin. Yeah. Think of lots him of as McLovin. People like, you know, someone like him probably would have fake IDs. It's yeah. not like he's living on the up and up. And an awful lot of times you get a fake ID and there's not a lot of care put into it, it seems, from what I've heard. So you could end up with like being like, 
hello, I would like an ID that just says I'm 21. And they're like, here you go. You're a 50 year old woman from Omaha. And you're like, okay, good enough, I guess. Sure. <laughs> sure. I guess that'll do. It makes me old enough to buy beer. Thank you. <laughs> so obviously relationships between adults, teenagers, not okay. I understand why this might make some of you uncomfortable, but the intention does not seem to be there. They seem on a very equal playing field. And yeah, I think it's just, it's just a bad prop. Just yeah, a prop, y'all. Prop. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Emma is atop one of the statues outside the open door to the home of the giant, clutching Mulan's sleeping potion. Captain Hook then takes a human bone in one of the worst pieces of CGI I've ever seen and uses it to pound on a massive metal shield to summon the giant from his lair. The giant then comes storming out and sees Captain Hook. Hook leads the giant around towards Emma by taunting him. Oh my god, Killian is such a nerd during his giant distraction. He's just like, look at me! I'm a bad man! I'm a bad human! And you're like... Yeah, he definitely doesn't come across as even remotely cool. (laughs) Sir! I love him. Oh, nerd! (laughs) Nerd! Nerd alert! Nerd alert. There he goes. There's your Han Solo factor. I'm really cool. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. (laughs) The giant follows him, and then Emma throws the potion in the giant's face, knocking him unconscious. At first, Emma believes Hook to be squashed, but the dashing pirate shows up and congratulates her on knocking the giant out cold before proceeding inside. I just have to take a second and talk about how goddamn rough the CG is in this scene, because it's bad. Like, you can actually see a distinct white halo around the giant's entire outline. Like, damn. Yeah, this is Damn. a this is a real rough one for special effects, and like all three of these actors in the scene are are doing their very best, but I feel like it must have been real. Oh no, shorting to them, they real hard scene this acted. Yeah, like they they do their best with I'm assuming nothing to work with because everything seems like it's CG in this scene. It's just a lot of green, maybe a tennis ball here and there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's bad. It's on par with the first episode, the pilot, where we see Regina walk down the hall and she's like a good foot above the CG floor. Yeah. That's that's about where this is at. <laughs> and it's <laughs> really, damn, someone got paid to do that. Probably a very small budget with a very tight turnaround. And they had an intern do this scene. Potentially. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the ground, Aurora wakes up screaming from a nightmare. A concerned Mary Margaret rushes to her side while Mulan looks on. Aurora then tells Mary Margaret about her nightmare, stating that she was in a bright red room that had no windows or doors and was covered in blood red curtains. A fire was in the room as well, and through the fire she could see a male figure on the other side of the room watching her. Mary Margaret calms her down and states that it was just a dream and to go back to sleep. Aurora reluctantly does this, laying her head in Mary Margaret's lap. Mary Margaret states she will watch over her. I do appreciate that Snow is like, we're the Sleeping Curse Survivors Support Club now. It's cool. She's the best. I love how soft she is with Aurora. Even though Aurora tried to slit Snow's throat like a few days ago. But Snow's just like, I get it. I get it. (laughs) Yeah, Snow gets it. She'd probably have cut a bitch at one point too. I'm sure she has. Bandit Snow was feral. In the giant's home on top of the beanstalk, Hook and Emma wander through the place, Emma looking for the magical compass, while Hook seems to have more of an eye on the treasure all around them. Hook tucks a golden coin into his belt and then walks past Emma, stating all they need is right in front of them. 
We flash back to Portland. Emma goes to the locker indicated by Neil and opens it, taking the contraband out of the locker and easily slipping by security. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Except that she's so suspicious. <laughs> like walking real slowly past the wall of lockers like, girl, just walk confidently like that is totally your locker and you 100% belong there. Well, this is Larceny 101. Write that down, kids. Just walk confidently like you're walking into a restaurant to use their bathroom, but you have no No, you haven't there. bought anything. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and the sign clearly says restroom for customers only. <laughs> Back in the giant's lair, while searching in the treasure room, Emma and Hook stumble across the skeleton of Jack the Giant Killer. All that remains are his bones, a few tattered bits of cloth, and a large sword with Jack's name inscribed on it. As Hook prepares to search further, Emma grabs a hold of him to save him from tripping over a tripwire. Hook takes this as a sign of affection from Emma, which she refutes immediately. The two then resume the search for the compass. I mean, I guess you gotta respect that Hook is hella thirsty for Emma from day one. Well, when Emma goes after you, Hook just gives her this look that says, I know you want me to go first so you can check out my fabulous pirate booty. <laughs> Like, I don't know why on most other men, this behavior is super gross and un unforgivable, but on Hook, it is just funny and oddly harmless. But yeah, don't act like this IRL. Only fictional pirates can make this weirdly hornball behavior charming. Yeah, somehow the fact that you can kind of see like such a nerd underneath this onslaught of flirting. So I have this theory. Maybe it's because we know how much Hook loved Mila and saw that vulnerability and dedication to her in a past episode. So like, we know, I guess how serious he can actually be. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I think that helps. I think if this was like the only time we ever saw him, we'd be like, okay, kind of creepy, you know? Um, I was kind of just writing it off to like the Captain Jack Harkness factor, at least true. on my end. Yeah, I'm like, I yeah. feel like they got kind of a similar vibe, TBH. Except yeah, that Captain that. Jack flirts with everybody. He does, but also he had, technically, he had kind of the same thing. Yeah, like he can definitely love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah. Had, he did have a, like, a great love. Yeah. Oh, Yanto. So, like, there's, I think it's kind of that same, I don't know, this is how I cope with my problems by deflecting and flirting constantly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know flirting. what, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. He doesn't actually think anything's going to come of it. No. Yeah. That's very it's, true. It's all it's all part of his whole persona. Yeah. Like Absolutely. the charming captain. The facade. Absolutely. It's yeah. like, this is what's expected of me. And it's not going to go anywhere because these women are not impressed at all. <laughs> but right. I'm going to keep doing it. Got to keep doing it. Got to Because it's what I know. <laughs> he's like, because I amuse myself. <laughs> he's like, God damn it. At least I think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom says I'm cool. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Back in Portland, Emma joins Neil in their yellow bug, and the two celebrate their victory with a kiss. Neil then states that he will go and meet the fence to sell the watches before meeting with Emma in a parking structure by the tracks at 9 p.m. sharp. They will shortly thereafter be able to start their new lives in Tallahassee. Before he takes off, Neil gives Emma one of the stolen watches. Aw, it's a Mickey watch. This is a flashback, and like, you know how everything shakes out for Emma. But still, her and Neil are so cute that each time I watch it, I just want them to work out. I know. They're really sweet in this episode. Like, you know it won't, and yet you're still pulling for them, because you're like, oh, but they're so soft. Oh, I love you kids. I love you crazy kids. I just want you guys to be okay. Neil takes off, but is pursued by a shadowy figure into a back alley and pulls him down from a chain link fence and throws him to the ground. Neil thinks he is a cop, but the man says, it's not like that. You want to protect Emma? Come with me. He releases Neil, who is instantly ready to punch this puppet boy out because the stranger turns out to be goddamn August douchebag fuckboy Booth. (laughs) Yay. Here's August to ruin everything with his greasy fuckboy face. No, not this fuckhead. To the pooping house and with you, puppet boy. Also, I see you embellish my summary. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I did. Because August is terrible and I want him to die. (laughs) Oh, goddammit, August. I have to deal with him. I know. As soon as he came out from the shadows, I was like, oh, fuck. Now I got to deal with you. And I was like, ah, can't, I was so happy when you were, you know, made out of wood and dying. (laughs) You couldn't talk anymore. Yeah. (sighs) Fuck. Anyway, August tells Neil to think of him as Emma's guardian angel, which Neil accurately calls him out, saying August has been doing a crap job. August has the audacity to be incredulous, as he says he has been searching for Emma for two years, only to find her robbing convenience stores with some deadbeat. Him referring to himself as her guardian angel makes me want to fucking barf. This sanctimonious bag of dicks. I want to choke him with his own puppet strings. Do it. Like, oh, have you been looking for her, August? Have you? Have you? I don't believe him. I don't think he has. Neil says that he is the best thing that has ever happened to Emma. Okay, that's a bold statement, buddy. Like, men, never, ever, ever say this about your special lady friend. Even if you're right. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think he actually is. Absolutely. But still. Just don't say it out loud. You can think it. Yeah, you can think it all you want. Neil wonders where the hell he has been for the rest of her life. To which August says, the world is full of temptations. And he is not great at saying no. But he's here now. Oh, good for you. (laughs) Excuse me as I barf into the corner. (laughs) No one can blame you. I have to somehow get through this, and it's making me so mad. Breathe. I'm trying. Calming thoughts. I'm trying. Okay. We know you're trying, and we are so proud of you. (laughs) I can. I can do. I can do this. I can do this. Okay. (sighs) August explains that he thought Emma would be safe inside the foster system. But now that she is out, he has returned to take care of her, as he once promised. I'm just so goddamn mad right now. This complete dick who abandoned her as a child swans in and tries to pretend Neil is the issue here. You know, not the bag of dicks that was supposed to take care of her as his one fucking job. 
but instead he just bailed but sure neil is the reason everything with emma went wrong you fucking dumbass somebody grab the matches i have some kindling that needs burning (laughs) neil quietly responds that he and emma promised to take care of each other august realizes that neil truly loves emma which he uses to be a reason why neil must let her go never neil solemnly vows august calmly asks the other man if he believes in magic which can I just say came off very creepy. Very <laughs> creepy. If anyone uh, ever, kids, if anyone ever throws your ass down in an alley and asks you if you believe in magic, you run. kick them in the dick and you run because shit's going to get bad. I know. I kind of like am just waiting for August to like pull a rabbit out of his ass or something. I don't know. Like, I don't even know, but it just, I'm like, God, he's already so skeezy. And then him he just, just like, he just stares unblinkingly at Neil as like he pulls scarf out of scarf out of scarf. <laughs> and Neil's just like, oh, oh yeah. he's like, oh my God, it's a psychotic magician. <laughs> Talent. How do I get out of here? <laughs> tip him and run. Tip him and run. <laughs> I stand by my, you kick him in the balls and run for your life. Yeah. August saunters over to his nearby motorcycle like the piece of shit he is, where a wooden box we recognize sits strapped to the seat. August promises that when Neil sees what's in the box, he will listen and believe. It is not, sadly, the head of Gwyneth Paltrow. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> Come on, what's in the box? <laughs> August opens the lid and Neil peers in. He is stunned in silence before he straightens up and looks leveled at August. Okay, I'm listening, he says with a shake in his voice. August explains about the curse and Emma's destiny, hoping that Neil will do the right thing at the end of it. I hate August so much, I have an actual physical reaction anytime he does literally anything. I wanted to puke during this whole thing. This asshole is being like, yo, Neil, you got a white fang, Emma. And it's so, it's the worst. The worst. It's super fucking bad, especially since he's all like, I know I was like, had literally one fucking job. And that's the whole reason I was sent here. But you're the problem. She got into crime because of you. And it's like, she was stealing a car when she met him, dude. Yeah. She was not getting into crime because yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So do us all a favor and she's, go drown yourself. She's She's been doing crime since real young, friend. Yeah. While she was in the foster system that you thought would protect her, by the way. Mild spoiler, but whatever. I hate August. Why is he back? I don't know. To punish us. Uh, <laughs> right i'm cool i'm centered i'm moving on it's okay all right later that same night emma is waiting for neil admiring her watch she tries to ring neil but his phone is out of service a cop shows up out of nowhere with a gun pointed at her saying she has possession of stolen goods because he claims to have reviewed the footage of her removing the bag of watches from the bus station locker he informs emma that neil betrayed her and called in a tip on her He asks for the other stolen watches, but Emma states that she does not have them. She is cuffed and led away in disbelief. Gross. Okay, this is stupid because no way they would have gotten to her that fast. It takes time to check surveillance cameras and like some red tape and shit. Ugh, whatever, fine. It suits the narrative. But also, fuck this cop. He calls her a good girl when she affirms she knows her rights. It's super gross. 
like the good girl thing made me fucking ill go die in a fire you swine also kind of to add on to your thing with it's unrealistic with how they'd have to review things and there's red tape and everything they have to read you your rights otherwise anything you say can't actually be used in your trial so good job asshat you're botching your own trial by being a douche so i don't know where they were going with the do you know your rights bullshit because if he doesn't actually say it that's not like that's just literally not how it works Ugh, the scene is the worst poor emma i'm upset i'm upset i'm sorry uh <laughs> you want me to get you a glass of water no it's okay i have iced tea okay i don't really want to get up <laughs> back in the giant's lair Emma is overwhelmed by the amount of treasure and bric-a-brac they have to comb through. Hook asks for a boost atop a golden cage, but Emma believes he will pocket whatever he finds. He asks Emma to trust him. Just as Emma agrees that they will both go up, they hear the sound of the giant pounding towards the treasure room. Roaring in fury, he storms towards them, and his movements loosen stones from the ceiling and seemingly crush Hook beneath them. The giant looms over Emma and swipes down at her before the screen abruptly fades to black. We return to the land without magic of the past, this time in Vancouver, Canada, two months after Emma's arrest. August meets with Neil on the outskirts of town. Holy shit! We unlocked another location! Oh, hey! Neil drives up in the bug and tells August he tried to lose himself and that it didn't work. He does not feel he can move on until he knows Emma is okay. August reveals to him that Emma was sentenced to 11 months in a minimum security prison in Phoenix, Arizona. Outraged and distraught, Neil laments that it ought to be him in prison, not her. Neil demands to know more, but August reminds him of the deal they made months earlier. August remains cool-headed, adamant that Emma will do her time and be fine, and Neil will steer clear of her so that she can have a good life and fulfill her destiny. Neil makes August promise that he'll be there for Emma. Liar! He's not going to be, Neil. Spoiler alert. He's not going to be. Honestly, August can go fucking choke. His whole I know what Emma needs stick is fucking nauseating. Like, good job, Once Upon a Time, for creating just the most insufferable cock wagon. Because he's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Neil then gives August the keys to the bug and a stack of money, saying that he'll rest better if he knows Emma is cared for. August says Emma does not need money for what's ahead, which is utterly baffling. Just so baffling because she still has uh, 10 years before breaking the curse. So of course she needs money, you fucking Egypt. Like food, shelter, like what? Oh, don't you know? Apparently being a chosen one means you no longer need money or to eat or anything else or whatever. You know he took that money and blew it on going to Thailand because he sucks. Yep. Just give her the money, August. The worst. He'd have to be a decent person to do that, and he isn't. He isn't. He's doing a real great job looking out for her. Mm. 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 August reluctantly agrees to Neil's request, you know, like a liar, and says he will send a postcard to him when Emma fulfills her destiny. The takeaway from this scene is Neil is such a good boy, and August is bad very bad it's like direct opposition of each other mm-hmm. like in this one scene you have such such a good boy and then you just have the embodiment of toxic masculinity in a bad shirt <sighs> meanwhile the giant has emma in his hand and proceeds to squeeze the life out of her 
Emma pleads with him that she needs the compass to get back to her son, but the giant does not heed her. Almost out of breath, Emma bites the giant's hand, causing her to be dropped in another fit of very bad CG, might I add. It's very bad. Catching her breath, she runs away and grabs Jack's sword lying nearby. She cuts the rope holding a large iron cage and it falls on top of the giant, trapping him. Menacing him with the poison sword, she demands the compass. The giant states that she's going to kill him anyway and that humans are all alike. They massacred us and destroyed all of the beans. Emma says that she heard it was the other way around. That's because the victors get to tell the story. He gives Emma the golden compass. They massacred us and destroyed all our beans is actually Lynn's most quoted once upon a timeline. So funny to me. It's the most unintentionally hilarious line. It shouldn't be, but it is. I feel like the writers maybe should have taken a little more time with that line because all the gravity of the situation just goes right out of the window with it. Like you're kind of like, all right, you're there for him with his like, oh, the humans killed everyone. And you're like, oh, Phil's bad, man. But right as soon as he goes, they massacred us and destroyed all the beans in like the tiniest voice you've ever heard. You're like, wait, wait. <laughs> all of it, your it's, beans. It's, it's not the, the massacred us part. It's the beans. It's the beans. It's, it's the beans. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, you guys really should have reworked this line a bit. <laughs> Because any any gravity you felt for this situation has just, it's gone. I think destroyed all of our magic would have been better. God, literally anything would have been better. This <laughs> line's ridiculous. <laughs> Magical beans. Beans. Oh no, not the beans. Magical fruit that makes you fart. Aw, poor Hurley from Lost. <laughs> and his beans. Hasn't he been beans. through enough already? I don't know. I haven't seen Lost. (laughs) I mean, his is like one of the best characters ever. He's very pure. I know. I love Hurley. He's good. He was on How I Met Your Mother. and I He was the gentleman. He was the gentleman. And he makes a Lost reference about like, about being on that plane or whatever. He says something that's a Lost reference. Yeah, I remember. I remember him on How I Met Your Mother. He was a delight. The same time that Emma was on it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was the same time that Emma was on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the gentleman. The gentleman is uh, her episode. Yeah, Zoe. Zoe, because Zoe invents the gentleman game. I think that's I really neither here nor there. We've gone on a lot of tangents. I'm very sorry. <laughs> All right, let's no, move it's back okay. to Emma. What's Emma doing now? She she says this is what she says. Maybe you are telling the truth, Emma says. <laughs> She asks the giant if there are any others, but he affirms that he is all alone, you know, on account of them all being massacred and their beans being stolen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Emma notices a fossilized bean on a medallion he wears and asks excitedly if it can make a portal. Not anymore, says the giant. I wear it as a reminder that you're all killers. This haunts Emma as she states that humans are not all alike and walks away. The giant then breaks out of the trap and runs towards Emma. But rather than grab her again, he reveals a secret exit from his lair, saying that he owes Emma a favor for not killing him. And he does it in the most goddamn dramatic way possible, too. Like, there's a brick covering this tiny person-sized hole that probably weighs as much as, like, I don't know, a grapefruit to him. And he screams and yeets it to reveal the way (laughs) out. And, like, damn, dude, you could have just scooted it to the side. It is the most needlessly dramatic scene. He doesn't know how to be around people anymore. God, I guess not. No, I'm going to attribute that to bad CG and bad directing the actor like while he's... There's so much that's supposed to, I think, be met with gravity. Yeah. 
interactions between Emma and Tiny. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's comical. It shouldn't be, but it is. And I'm sorry, because I'm sure they were doing their best. Oh, no. Oh, absolutely. yeah. They're both great actors. They um, are. And I'm sure they were doing their absolute best. And I feel a little bad for laughing at them, but only a very little because it's quite <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. You have to say, Jennifer Morrison's really, really excellent in this episode. Oh, she acts oh, her yeah. pants off. Oh, yeah. It's not her fault that there's terrible CG and some very bad lines and, no, you know, whatever else is going on right now. <laughs> it wouldn't be Once Upon a Time without a mix of just, like, extreme wonderfulness and just extreme, oh, no, it's over here. <laughs> yeah, it's like a happening. piñata. It's a piñata filled with all your favorite candies, but also pennies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're just like, okay. Like, oh, they? Maybe some paper clips. Paper clips and pennies. Thank you. This is useful question mark. Going trick or treating and getting <laughs> pencils. I got a rock. I got a rock. <laughs> Emma then states that the giant actually owes her two favors since she could have killed him while he was unconscious. The giant agrees. Emma then goes to Hook, pulls him out from under the rocks, and shows him the magical compass. Hook reaches for it, but Emma tucks it back into her coat pocket. Then she clamps a manacle on Hook, stating that she can't take a chance that she is wrong about him. She assures Hook that she is not leaving him to die, only giving herself a head start. She turns and leaves as Hook roars at her. Emma's like, no more handsome men in my life. It always ends poorly. Goodbye, handsome dude. I, I'm sending you to horny jail. Yeah, your, your giant warden will uh, release you after I've got a good head start. Yeah. After he's done yelling and throwing around more things that weigh nothing to him. Going, my beans, my beans. My beans. Poor guy. Listen, this is nothing against the actor. He did his best. He really did. I want, I want to state that. I want everyone to know this is not a dig at him. He did his best. He's a very talented actor. Meanwhile, on the ground... Mulan observes that it has been 10 hours since Emma climbed the stock. Reluctantly, she unsheaths her sword and goes to work on the beanstalk, swinging her sword and shaking the beanstalk to its core. An enraged Mary Margaret lunges at Mulan and demands to know what she is doing. Mulan gasps out that it was Emma's wish for the beanstalk to be cut down if she was not back in 10 hours. Emma then jumps to the ground with the compass in her hand. Aurora asks about Hook, to which Emma responds, he's fine, but he's a bit held up. Mulan and Aurora make ready to break camp, while Mary Margaret hugs her daughter close and scolds her for telling Mulan to cut down the beanstalk. Mama Mare mad, but love you anyway. She's so mad, but she loves her daughter friend so much. (laughs) In the Phoenix jail, Emma is sitting in her cell when a prison guard comes in with a small yellow envelope for her. She tells Emma it was sent from Phuket. The prison guard opens it and reveals the keys to the bug, stating that Emma now has a car in addition to a baby when she gets out of jail. Emma is then shown holding a positive pregnancy test in her hand. That fucking puppet boy kept the money. August, you piece of shit. Told you, motherfucker used it to go to Thailand. I'd like to once again remind everyone that Lynn was right the whole time. Lynn was was right right the the whole whole time. time. Thank you. We can move on now. In present-day Storybrook, a screaming Henry wakes up, causing charming Grandpa Himbo to come running. David lights a candle for Henry, and then Henry describes having a nightmare extremely similar to the one dreamt by Princess Aurora in the Enchanted Forest, except that he sees a female figure looking back at him. David comforts him and says it was just a bad dream. 
I love Charming so much. He's such a breath of fresh air after having to see so much of that actual shit stay in August. It's like, here's a real good man. Here's a good Here's a good man. And on that good man, we end credits. I do really, really like this episode. I, I love getting to see Neil and Emma's thief meet cute and their romance. I am a fan of Neil and I do think they have very cute chemistry together. Speaking of chemistry, I do really enjoy Emma and Killian in this episode as well. I also really like the side plot of Snow and Aurora bonding over the effects of the sleeping curse. And then the realization that Henry is having the same nightmares. I really like that they are exploring the trauma that Snow and Aurora and Henry all went through by being under the sleeping curse. It was probably a lot to, to go through, so I'm, I'm glad it's actually being addressed here. The white fanging did make me want to throw my notes across the room, even though I knew it was coming. I mostly love this episode. Like, I remembered really liking it, but I completely forgot how much August is in it. And I just got angry all over again about how he's the worst thing ever. And I feel like I can point to this episode whenever anyone wants to come into my house about my August hatred being unfounded or him supposedly being a good character or whatever, blah, 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 because no, he isn't. He's terrible. And Emma would be within her rights to shove him off a building, which she won't do because she's a better human being than I am. But he's the worst. But Neil isn't the worst. Neil's great, and I love him. And even though we only get two seconds of him, Charming continues to be the best man and the best dad. Also, shout out to Snow being willing to go absolutely feral at the drop of a hat. You love to see it. (laughs) At least I do. Me too. Love a woman will just go feral. (laughs) (laughs) I completely blanked out on August being in this episode. I think my brain was protecting me from a past trauma of his callous, self-righteous bullshit. This episode alone justifies any negative feelings any viewer has with August. Lynn Lynn especially. Yes, Lynn was right. Lynn was right all along. (laughs) Like, what an abject tool. Like, I think with season one, you're kind of like, if you're just kind of going into it, you're like, okay, this guy's a bit like cocksure about himself. And that's really irritating. And he's also like a stranger acting like he knows all these people. So that's, you know, kind of shady and weird. But, you know, I don't think the true level of anger can come out until this episode is seen. You're like, (laughs) fuck you. Like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. As awful as he is in this episode, in a weird way, I'm almost happy because it makes me feel vindication. Yeah. It makes me feel like I've been telling you all. I've been telling you all and you all acted like I was crazy, (laughs) but I'm not. I'm not. He's terrible. I totally forgot he was even in this episode. And then I watched and I was like, oh, Lynn. Lynn is totally. Yeah, he's the worst. Lynn was right all along. (laughs) I was. He's the worst character in the show. It was August all along. (laughs) That's what I've been saying. (laughs) Puppet boy aside, though, I adore this episode. Neil is absolute perfection and young Emma is darling. I love them. And I love Hook and his full blossom shameless flirting with Emma. Oh, and sweet mama bear snow. Excellent episode all around. Minus puppet boy. Yeah, it's 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 a good one. I think it's my favorite of the season so far. Yeah. I'm a fan. Except not of August. No. Or white banging. No. No. 
So uh, how about them costumes, eh? <laughs> what costumes? Yeah, this episode is very fantasy costume light. The only new one we really get is Tiny's like Asian-inspired tunic. Just shout out to Aurora and Milan for still looking great in their same costumes. And I guess an anti-shout out to the potato sack tunic Killian is wearing at the beginning of the episode when he still has his like blacksmith disguise on because that's not good. It's not good. He's too handsome a man to, to be wearing that. Oh, and he's wearing like all that fucking jewelry too. And I'm just like, sir. Yeah. He like really, yeah. He's like, I am but a humble blacksmith. And you're like, sure, sure. buddy. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's it. I'm sorry if you have nothing to talk about in the costumes no. today. There weren't really any new no, there costumes. Weren't. Like, no. I guess like Emma's little motorcycle jacket and plaid skirt she wears when you first see her in the first flashback is kind of cute. But like. Yeah, her donut outfit's cute too. She has some cute clothes in the flashbacks, but like, there's not really costumes. Yeah, Neil's handsome in in like that grungy kind of way. Yeah, but I'm really mostly just admiring arms because I honestly <laughs> could barely tell you what he was wearing. So like gr- grungy hoodies. Like on I the remember run, he looked stuff. handsome. Yeah, yeah, he's just scruffy and handsome. Yeah, like I remember he looked scruffy and handsome. I couldn't really tell you what he was wearing. He has like a like, secondhand blazer at one point. I don't think any of it was particularly remarkable. No. No. All right. You know, it's more remarkable. The guest stars. Yes. Welcome to Who's That Guest Star, in which we talk about recurring cast members and guest stars. In season two, episode six, we have our teen Tony Brown as the arresting cop. Brown is a routine background actor in a multitude of series who has clawed his way into recurring roles in series such as Stargate SG-1, True Calling, Soldiers of the Apocalypse, Arrow, I, Zombie, and supernatural. Tony Alcantar as the quickie stop cashier. Chicago-born Alcantar has enjoyed a hearty career as not just an actor, seen in TV shows like The Actress Diaries, American Dreams, and Supernatural. He can be heard in video games and animated shows like Ultimate Book of Spells, The Godfather Video Games, and My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Interestingly, Alcantar's most illustrious credit lies in his career as a dialect coach, with credits on shows like Fear the Walking Dead, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Fargo, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Supernatural. Carrie Sandomirsky as the corrections officer. She can be seen on TV shows such as the short-lived Wise Guys, The Killing, The Good Doctor, and The X-Files. Oh, and be sure to listen to our friends on I Want to Rewatch, an X-Files podcast. <laughs> Michael Raymond James as Neil Cassidy. Our sweet, beloved Neil is played by the very darling Michael Raymond James, who can be seen in Jack Reacher, Terriers, True Blood, Frontier, Tell Me a Story, Bronzeville, and Big Sky. All right. So this takes us on a road trip and a yellow bug down Once Upon a Timeline. <laughs> so this is an interesting one because the flashback is in The Land Without Magic, not The Enchanted Forest, the first time this has happened. This flashback would take place about 17 years after the one in season one, episode 20, The Stranger, uh, where Pinocchio leaves Emma behind in their foster home. And then the episode that follows this would be about 10 years later, and that would be the present day timeline, not the flashback timeline, in season one, episode one, pilot, as that is the next time uh, we've seen Emma so far. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. 
Ruby's fear about turning into a wolf during the first curse-free Storybrook full moon is confirmed when one of the town's residents is viciously murdered and Ruby is the prime suspect. Meanwhile, Spencer threatens to expose David Nolan as a shepherd, not a prince, and not fit to run the town as sheriff. And Leroy stumbles upon some treasures in the Storybrook mine that could help bring Mary Margaret and Emma back. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale land that was, Red Riding Hood finds a kindred spirit in Anita, a charismatic and mysterious leader of a pack of humans who, like Red, turn out to be wolves. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is, Lynn was right, it was August all along. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy once upon a rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairytale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. It was August all along. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been saying. <laughs>